Hello there. Have you had thoughts and questions about how product management is practiced in Nigeria, Africa, and the world at large? Or if other product managers are going through the same challenges and how to resolve it? If any of this strikes a chord, welcome to Product Center. Listen to product leaders share their thoughts and experiences on practical topics such as design thinking, user research, product development, team management, etc. So irrespective of your level, either you're aspiring, practicing, or senior product manager, there's something to learn to give your career a boost. You should follow us on our social media platforms, Twitter and LinkedIn, Art Product Centered, and subscribe to our newsletter. We share lots of product management resources, and of course, notifications when episodes are released. Hello, and welcome to Product Centered. Hosting today's podcast is Shikemi Oyini, and I'll be speaking with Tunde Adeniro. Tunde is a product management leader with a decade's worth of experience. Yes, <laughs> you heard me, over 10 years of helping African brands build software products to solve problems at scale. Through this period, he has worked and consulted as a product manager, business analyst, and sales engineer for startups and mid-scale firms looking to make an impact in Africa. He's interested in areas such as analytics, data, fintech, mobile, SaaS, and marketing platforms, and he's built several software platforms for B2B and B2C audiences. For those of you that like Gist, <laughs> I've known Tune for over four years because he was my former boss and a very great one at that. And that's why we're here speaking to him about managing PM teams. We talked about his product management journey, how he started, the skills required to be a product management team leader, years of experience or certifications if need be that are required. And then the big one, how to get major stakeholders aligned and how to get their buy-in. He reveals some unconventional but effective methods you want to stick around to the end to listen to that so let's go straight into it welcome to product centered thank you very much for joining us um, we'd like to get to know you a bit more can you please tell us about your product management journey you know how you started out how you got interested in product management of course you know that or we all know that a number of people product management is not one of those courses you go to university to study you know i think some people stumble upon yeah. product management Right. So how was it for you? Um, and if you can tell us some of your interesting experiences as a product manager, we'd like to hear more about that. Okay. Um, thank you, Shikemi. I think I'd like to appreciate you for having me on the program to start with. Um, my journey into product management is quite an interesting one. Um, I would start from when I was in uni. Um, I've always been interested in, in IT. Um, and that's why I read computer science in school, right? So um, initially, I wanted to be uh, into networking. Um, so I was um, very much the kind of person who would read networking books. And uh, at some point, I wrote the CCNA exam. And for some reason, I just lost interest in, in networking, right? So I finished school um, and I started entrepreneurship. Um, I had a logistics firm at the time. And you know, I was basically doing business, you know, carrying goods from parts of Lagos to parts, parts in Lagos to Kano, Abuja, Ibadan, and, and different locations around that. But all along that experience, I, I still had a passion for technology because you know I would um, read up on cloud computing at the time. Cloud computing was still like a novel 
um, technology that was very much up and coming at the time. Um, this is about a, a about a decade ago, um, and then I would also, you know, just try to keep myself abreast by going to websites like ZDNet at, at the time, um, and. You know, for some reason, the business I was doing didn't work out, and you know, I started to go into good employment. And one of the, the opportunities I got was as a business analyst. You know, with a small firm called Explore Technologies. Um, they were quite small, but you know how you work with a small firm and you're a jack of all trades, right? It really immersed me into that technology experience because at one point you're serving as a business analyst at the other point you're serving as a technical writer and on the other point you're talking directly to customers and trying to sell business to them um so i started my career out as a business analyst um at the time i didn't even know anything like product management existed right um what i was doing was more business analysis where you um elicit requirements from customers and then you translate those requirements to a documentation and then you work with the software development team to build out um, the, the solution that you've envisioned to solve the client's problems when you capture the requirements and and, and that was it right so I, I did a bit of that um, with Xplog um, it was a very interesting experience for me at the time because you know I had the opportunity to you know work on diverse projects. You know I, I worked on recruitment portals for organizations like First Bank. You know where we would you know back in the time re recruiting was wasn't as fancy as as discussing to these days, right? So what will happen is you know you put out a newspaper ad and then you get people to go to your website and then they will apply on the website. So what we used to do then was we would build that entire recruitment stack for the employer and then um, we would also manage the process of um, receiving applications and helping them with sorting applications and then we're partners with um, Chams. Chams had this massive um, skills assessment center in Ikeja. I think it was about a thousand computers at the time. At the time, it was one of the biggest in the, in the country actually, where we would um, send candidates that were shortlisted to go for the assessments. Um, and then, I, of course, I had some experience working with government as well. Um, the National Bureau of Statistics, the Central Bank of Nigeria, we, we built out a software called the Statistical Database for them, basically digitizing their their data, right, and having a platform where they could run queries directly um, from the web and also the, the, the Windows application that we had built for them at the time. Yeah, so my experience at Xplog as a business analyst was was um, my first major foray into building software, right? Um, I was doing this without the product manager nomenclature, right? I did it for about two years and then I joined Tarragon um, six years ago now, six over six years ago now, and um, I joined as a product manager. And one thing that struck me was my job responsibilities were indifferent from what um, I was doing at my earlier company. And, you know, it was still about understanding what customers' problems were and, you know, trying to use technology to solve those problems, right? But again, the title was different. So, of course, that got me interested in product management. And then I started, you know, reading up online to see 
you know what product management was all about it was still very new at that time um, not a lot of people had the title of product manager in nigeria i, I think i remember just one or two people and um, a few other people here and there i mean switches was one of the companies that actually um very early on to the product management um, profession as well um so yeah it was at the time it was a case of you know you building up yourself you know you didn't necessarily have a lot of online knowledge bases to rely on um and you know the term who is a product manager was very vague it's probably still a bit vague but you could imagine it was it was way more vague at the time because you know product managers were doing everything from sales to operations to customer support and you know in some companies you know you will talk to a product manager and the person tells you oh i'm actually doing support and you're like okay what's going on you know so different employers had different understanding of the role and you know there wasn't necessarily a well-grounded understanding of what a product manager should be um, it was still in flux at the time of course because it was new um, but i then later saw that over time that career path began to evolve, right? And um, product management began to become a, 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 a more um, a more grounded um, career path in well-established companies. So, for example, banks um, started having product teams, and um, you had fintechs coming up, and they also started having product teams as well. Um, so that's that's really been been my journey into the space. Um, it's, it's been quite interesting. Some of the things you mentioned um, they're really sound because I think a number of people out there are actually doing product management related um, tasks or activities in their day to day, and maybe they don't know it's called product management or they just haven't explored that role. But I think I've had some conversations with Gumi Wellington of eTransact. He talked about some, shall I say, bordering um, technology careers that people can get into because so many people always ask me, so um, I want to get into product management, but I'm doing this. Some people are already doing sales or some people are already doing customer support or some of those other bordering, shall I say, professions around product management that they can easily just, you know, um, transit into product management. That's that's something you mentioned that I think is really key and everybody needs to um, take note of that. So your transition, how, how you identified. Oh, so tell us a bit. Did you just see the job the job role advertised somewhere and feel like, oh, I can do this? Or how did you know? Because for some people, it's there's a, should I say, aha moment of saying, Oh, I thought I was doing product management, but somebody, the recruiter that was, the, the recruiter convinced me that, oh, um, a product manager can also do business analysis. How did you know that product management was something you can do, even though you were doing business analysis at the time? Yeah, for me, it was, it was almost like a deja vu, because what happened was I had taken a few business analysis courses. Um, so when I got back into the job market and I was trying to get a different job from what I was doing at the time, I'm in a job with a different company. Um, I started, of course, searching for business analysis titles, right? Um, but then again, I stumbled on the product management title. And what I did, I didn't really know what it was about at the time. But what I did was to go through the the job description, right? That was um, attached to the, the job listing at the time. And, you know, it had things that were very similar to business analysis, you know. So you had things like um, you need to talk to customers, you, you need to understand customers' problems, 
you need to translate those problems into solutions, you need to work with engineers, you need to, you know, project manage things from time to time. And I was like, okay, how is this thing different from what I'm doing right now? So I was like, oh, cool, maybe just a different title, right? So, yeah, I, I felt like it was something that was within uh, my capacity at the time because it was already something I was doing, but it was just that it was being called something else. And at, at that time, it was completely normal because, you know, some people called it systems analysis at the time as well. So you had systems analysts, you had business analysts, you had product managers, but product, the product management team was, wasn't uh, wasn't as common as the first two. Okay. Yes. Thank you for shedding some more light on that. We're going a bit further into your product management experience as a team lead or a PM lead. So you've been a product manager, product management team leader for about three years plus, right? And so we'd like to know some things from your perspective what skills do you think is important for one to be a product team leader? So talking about the skills, right, and some, should I say, applications or instances where you have, should I say, um, some instances where you have shown or used some of these skills. Then moving on to the amount, the, the number of years of experience that you think is required. So I say this because I know a friend that recently had an interview to be the team lead of a product management team. And the recruiter was saying, oh, okay, just four years. Don't you think that's too small, you know, to lead a team? So from your own um, perspective, what is what are the skills that are required? What is the, should I say, minimum um, number of years that a product manager can, um, after which a product manager can say, oh, I think I want to be, a, I want to lead a team as of now, right? Um, I want to look for those kind of opportunities. And I think the last bit would be about, are there any specifications that are required to actually be a product manager team leader, right? What are your thoughts? There are no easy answers to this question because it varies uh, based on practical scenarios, right? But I, I'll just give you a bit from my experience. Um, for example, before I became a product manager at Targon, I was leading the business analysis team, right? Um, and I had a, a team of about four people reporting to me. Um, so I had some leadership experience, you know, working with teams and of course, galvanizing teams towards a common goal. Um, and then when I, I started out as a product manager, um, at the time, I did that, um, I think, for the first two years as an individual contributor um, before I then had the team working with me. Um, and I would say that, you know, one of the key skills to leading a team, of course, is you have to be able to do the work yourself um, because product management is, is very much one of those fields where you need to be able to offer guidance. You, know, you need to be able to offer mentorship and coaching to, to those that report into you. Um, your biggest um, job as a as a leader is uh, being able to offer clarity, uh, being able to break down strategic initiatives into actionable items that your team can execute on, and also problem solving, right? Which is probably one of the things you end up doing on a daily basis. You know, problem solving and and you know, helping to to solve the daily issues that come up. You know, for for your team members. Um, I, I would say those are the most important skills to leadership. Um, but then again, it's a long list and it could vary on a case by case basis. For example, depends on the context, depends on the on the skill sets of, of the individuals that you would you would be leading. Um, but then again, if I was going to come up with um, a holistic list of skills that a product leader should have, right? I would say 
one is problem solving i would say two is you need to have strong strategy and vision setting skills three you need to be a team player you know you need to of course have um, skills with working with teams and getting teams to align and all of all that thing and, that, and that's really what separates a, a leader from from an individual contributor you know your ability to to galvanize people together rather than you relying on your own intelligence to get things done um four i would mention communication you need to have very good communication skills um you know just so that you're able to communicate upwards and downwards and also sideways to your peers um, you need to have strong negotiation skills as well um negotiation is is um, an underplayed skill in product management uh, you have to negotiate virtually you know every day because you know, from my experience i see that resources are always going to be limited however the ones are always going to be more than your capacity to be able to execute as a technology team you know which is where you need to have that skill to be able to balance things out right um you need a b c d e f now uh, can i give you a b c and give you the rest later you know and of course you need to be able to do that convincing to the different stakeholders that are involved in the process finally I, I would say you need to have empathy you know you need to have empathy for your internal stakeholders most importantly you need to have empathy for your customers right um being able to put yourself in, in their shoes being able to really understand problems and, and issues from their perspectives uh, being able to understand um what the, the pains are and and what really the goals are for them as well is, is really critical for you to excel as a product leader. Um, your other question around um, how much experience should one have to lead a team, I think that you need to have a minimum of seven years overall experience. Um, now, leadership experience could vary, right? You could have um, one year, you could have two years of experience. It really depends on um, how well-grounded that individual is in terms of the soft skills that they have um, and how the, the level of maturity for example in being able to lead the team but i would say five to seven years of our experience um and you know one to two years um, leadership experience or some experience leading leading people and it doesn't necessarily have to be work experience you know it could be some experience you've got in the leadership experience now i mean you know, you could gain leadership experience from um, volunteering, for example, from, you know, doing some volunteer work in church or for an NGO. You know, you just need to have that experience um, working with people, right? Otherwise, it then becomes a bit difficult convincing the hiring manager that you're actually able to lead a team. Because not everyone who is a strong individual contrib contributor actually makes that transition to management and being able to effectively manage people. Um, your, your last question, I, I guess, around um, certifications. Honestly, I, I haven't seen any certification that I, I would say prepares you for leadership. I'm personally not a big fan of certifications. Um, I think that certifications are more valuable to the individual from a knowledge perspective. However, if I was going to hire a product leader, I'm not going to hire you strictly on the basis of certification that you have, right? Um, experience is a lot more important. I would like to see 
what you've done in the past um, and how you've been able to um, achieve the goals that were set at the time. Um, so I would definitely say that experience weighs over certifications. Um, if you have a certified product manager certification, for example, from the AIPMM, it probably tells me that you have basic product management skills, right? But um, do you have the requisite skills to lead a team? Um, I, I would usually prefer to let experience be the judge of that. Yeah, I think I think that last point you made is very is very valid. For product leadership roles, it has to be based on experience. Um, I think a number of certifications are considered important. There's a product school has some certifications. Um, there's the new product development professional certification by the PDME Association. Um, and then there's a CPM certification, certified product manager by the AI PMM. So there, there are a number of um, product management certifications out there now. Okay. I'm going to pick on something you said, which has to do with relying on your own instinct or your own intelligence to get some work done. And then we'll gradually move into how you make decisions as a product leader. Right? Of course, one of the most important things you do is to make decisions or take decisions on behalf of your team, important decisions on how to move forward in terms of product development, even some business decisions too that a product leader has to take. How do you go about making those decisions? When do you trust your instincts? When do you require data? And I think you mentioned a bit about it, but how do you really get stakeholders to, to align? I hear you say negotiations, but help us speak a bit more to that please, so that we know how to negotiate, what the key things are, and then how to balance decision-making between data and instincts. I think decision-making is very much both a science and an art. Um, there, there isn't a specific formula to making a decision. And, and the reason for that is um, decisions are, are, are typically um, things that have consequences, right? Decisions lead to outcomes and those outcomes have consequences. And in many cases, those consequences are not always numerical. You know, they could have some social or some emotional outcomes. Um, so for example, um, I remember a number of years ago, Snapchat decided to do um, a complete redesign of, of, of the look and feel of the interface um, and you know it was a huge problem for them because you know people went on social media they didn't like it um, not that it wasn't functional it was functional it was working if you tested it it worked perfectly but it was a totally different user experience from what the snapchat users were used to at the time you know so when you're making a decision you know the, the impact is really something you need to to think about um, which is why, um, though I'm a fan of using data for decisions, um, I like personally taking data-driven data decisions. Um, but one of the things I've, I've learned is that data would tell you what, to tell you why, to tell you when. So for example, um, when you're about to take a decision, you know, um, if you need some data to back up that decision, data would give you that, right? It give you those three Ws I've mentioned, the what's the why, and then when. Now, the problem with data sometimes is that it doesn't tell you the how, right? Um, you have data that tells you if you do this, you'll get these results, right? But in, in, in many instances, there are several ways to skin a cat, right? And being able to choose between the most effective way that causes the, the least disruption, right? Um, it's often something you need to A-B test around. 
right? Um, and that's where the art of decision making comes in, right? Because you know you didn't have to trust your gut feel, or you have to trust your experience, or you have to trust something other than data to make that decision. Um, another thing with data is that it, it doesn't capture the emotions behind the problem that you're trying to make a decision around, right? Um, so what I would say is when making a decision, um, be data driven, um, use data as a guide, but don't use data as a rule book. And definitely don't um, imagine that because data is on your side, you know, you're always going to get your way, right? Um, how do you get stakeholders buying? Data is definitely good for that, right? Um, especially financial data. <laughs> Every CEO loves to make more money, right? Um, so if you can somehow prove that you taking a decision is going to yield um, some financial gain, or let me not restrict it to financial gain, right? It's going to move a metric that is important to your business. That metric could be um, an acquisition metric or a retention metric or an NPS type metric. You know, whatever the metric is, um, if you have some data that proves that um, you can take an initiative to improve on, 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 on the metrics that you're measuring, go for it. Feel free to quote the data. But again, like I mentioned earlier on, the fact that data is on your side doesn't always mean you get your way. Um, when it comes to getting stakeholder buying, you need to you need to work your way in, both formally and informally. You know, I was having a conversation with a friend a couple of months back, and you know, we're talking about you know how to get um, stakeholder buying, and you know, he he shared his experience from way back when he was younger, much younger in his career. And you know, he told me about how he had a big pitch with his leadership team. And um, one of the things that he was trying to do was to get them to decide right, on an initiative he was trying to promote. Um, so of course, he set up the meeting, he sent an email beforehand, communicating, sent some documents as well. And then he got to the meeting and he presented it and Unfortunately, he didn't get a go, right? Um, and, you know, at that point, he started wondering, you know, what was the problem? He started talking to people individually. And the problem wasn't that they didn't like the idea, but the, the problem was, was that a lot of them at that meeting hadn't gone through the documents sufficiently, um, or those who went through it didn't necessarily see what he was trying to communicate from his own perspective, right? Um, and, you know, one of the things that came out of that conversation was when you're trying to get stakeholders to make big decisions, you know, especially when you have more than one, two stakeholders involved and, you know, senior level, C-level stakeholders, you know, you have to walk your way before you get to those big points where, you know, that decision needs to be made. So if, for example, you have a management meeting and initiative needs to be made at that management meeting. Don't wait to to present your initiative at the management meeting. Do that before. You know, find some time, and it doesn't have to be anything formal. You know, it could be, you know, having a chat about what you're thinking around over coffee. You know, or you guys are having lunch together. You know, or you know, just trying to sound sound each individual out to see where they are mentally with respect to your initiative. And what that helps you do is it helps you fine tune 
whatever it is you want to propose. You know, people love it when they're part of an initiative. You know, they want to feel like, oh, I was a part of this decision that has been made or, oh, my voice has been heard, you know, towards um, this new fantastic idea that just came up. Um, so it's always a good idea for, for you to walk your way um, through back channels um, before you get to those points, just so that, you know, you know what people think and people who are going to push back, you're able to get their feedback early on and maybe work on that feedback before the main meeting. Um, it it's usually helps to, you know, soften the ground so that you can get that buy-in. So one of the key things as well is finding a common ground for everyone. You know, what's that key metric that ties everyone together? Right. And if there's no single key metric that ties everyone together, maybe you want to identify the key metrics that certain stakeholders are are keen on and you want to see how you can fit into that metric. So I'll give you an example. Um, if you have sales, the sales team in on that decision making process, you, you want to be able to speak to revenues because that's the most important thing to sales. Right. If you have say an operations team or customer service team in on that decision-making process, you want to be able to speak to um, things like net promoter scores or things like um, retention or things like customer satisfaction. You want to be able to speak to the metrics that each um, team lead or each team is interested in, you know, such that there's a common ground and everyone sees that you're actually making some form of impact in their lives rather than you driving your own agenda yes yes very true so i, I hear a number of things i hear um, for decision making consider the impact and then use data as a guide not as a let's say rule book right and most importantly i also hear you say uh, and this is this oh, we need to be careful when we're giving this advice to people <laughs> but yes um walk your way through the back door sometimes to try to get people on board um your ideas especially when it comes to stakeholders that have a lot of um, influence. Because another thing that I find is yeah. that some of, some of those meetings, it can just be a matter of, um, what's the word? One person's voice being the loudest, right? So identifying the people who truly need to take, who truly um, sound their voice the loudest in all of those meetings or, or speak against ideas, right? Once you find them and then you begin to speak to them, there's nobody to outrightly should i say say no or have a loud voice about the no and they're already on your side so they become like your supporters they help you put your matters through even if other people have some questions because you've discussed those things with with them yes i think we completely agree with all of the points you've given thank you Cindy. i know it sounds a bit quirky when when i say walk your way through the back door but you know we are first human beings before we are anything else right mm. um people love to feel involved Right. If you're going to be pushing out uh, an initiative that is going to have a huge impact on the business, people want to be, feel like, oh, I was a part of this initiative or, oh, my idea is somehow inside this initiative. I contributed towards it. Right. Um, you don't want to blindside them. Right. And, you know, when they push back, it might not necessarily be because they don't like it, but it might just be because, you know, what if I agree to this thing, this guy is going to have all the stars and I'm just going to be left out. Right. That's on one hand. Um, on the other hand, you, you said it rightly when, when you, you spoke about um, certain people having louder voices than others. Um, definitely, stakeholder mapping is something you need to do. Um, it doesn't have to be a formal, you are doing an Excel sheet 
some kind of activity. It could just be a, or who is more influential on the team, who has a stronger, stronger voice on the team, or um, who has the ears of the CEO or the CFO, whoever it is, the final decision maker is, you know, so that, you know, you know that if you get that person's buying, or if you're able to get that person's concerns and assuage those concerns, you know, you have an easier path to get everyone on board. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember, you can listen to more product management podcasts on our website, productcentered.com. Don't forget to share this link with your friends and subscribe. Hold up. (laughs) We're not done yet. If you like this one and you have some more time, please listen to the second part of this where Tunde talks about something completely different. Trust me, it will be worth it.